Hello and welcome to the Morrissey Exchange podcast. The information contained within this podcast has been provided as general advice only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances or objectives. You should consider if this advice is right for you and consult your financial advisor for further information. Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of the Morrissey Exchange. I am here today with Mr. Warren Murphy, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Carbonext. Warren, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Thanks, Ben. All right, let's kick it off. So Carbonext is an interesting business. Explain a little bit about yourself and your history before we get into the company. Okay, so I was originally an electrical engineer. Uh, then, uh, like many engineers, found my way into, into finance, originally via Westpac in uh, project finance and then on through the Commonwealth Government into Babcock and Brown, uh, where I uh, led the energy divisions and the Australian infrastructure division, so developed all of the energy capability uh, for Babcock and Brown in Australia and internationally. So wind farms, solar farms, gas-fired power stations, coal-fired power stations. Um, so lots of uh, background in, in, the, in the energy space. What was the value of all of that Babcock and Brown business? So combined probably about $20 billion in assets. Wow, okay. Let's hope CarbonX heads to that sort of value as well. All right, so over to Carbonext. Carbonext is a clean tech business uh, it's situated in the United States. Um, it services both the coal-fired power station market, which you've touched on, you've had a history in uh, just then, and also industrial pollution. So to kick it off, can you please provide some detail on the power station business and what is the unique or special qualities of the carbon that you produce compared with your peers? Okay, so, so first and foremost, uh, Carbonext is pollution control business that grew out of uh, expertise in activated carbon and patents around activated carbon. Now, activated carbon has been around for, for centuries as a purification medium. It's got large surface area and pollutants effectively bind to the the holes within the activated carbon and, and, and therefore can be captured and removed from the air or water phase issues. Now, in terms of where we started, David Mazak, who is our head of technology, developed a patent to capture mercury from uh, coal-fired power station air phase pollution. And that was what was unique about that was it was not, it did not use halogen or bromination in particular contained on the on the carbons and our thesis was that bromination would lead to corrosion so what our competitors do is basically pour bromine over their activated carbon and then inject that into the airstream of the coal-fired power station emissions that has led to uh, contamination to corrosion of both the injection equipment and indeed many of the back-end pollution controls on the power stations. So that was that was the product. Basically, the US mandated 90% plus uh, capture of airborne emissions from coal-fired power stations, and that legislation really only came in 
in, in April 2016. And so when you look at our revenues, you see us starting to, to get some volume through in 16 and then really taking off thereafter. So that was it. It was, it was a magnetic, it was ferrous compound added with a bunch of other secret ingredients. It was highly painted, protected, and our, we believed that it was much better than our competitors because it was non-corrosive and worked just as well and could be comparable on price. Okay, so you've got a plant in um, in Georgia, I think it is, Black Birch. Yep. Um, to what extent do you expect the plant uh, to be utilised this year? So we're currently running about 50% capacity. We think by the end of the year it'll be about 55%. That is all going into the power generation sector um, not all sorry a little bit is going into the cement industry and we just also won a contract in water purification wastewater purification we do anticipate that we could be um, sold out post covid um, i think we've we've got a lot of tests in the pipeline to do with utilities and a lot of um, in, in, in water power generation and cement but COVID has really restricted our ability to get onto site. Most utilities uh, banned their own staff from corporate headquarters, let alone third parties, coming onto their assets. And it's been a, a little bit of an issue for us in terms of business development uh, and getting those tests done. So this was what I would term the power station division. You just touched on the fact that the same product, the same activated carbon is used in uh, cement. Can you just touch on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So um, in making uh, cement, there's a heavy utilisation of power equipment and thermal and steam that's primarily generated from, from coal as well. And there's similar legislation in the cement industry as there is for power stations directly. Uh, that is to, to capture uh, mercury emissions and um, indeed other emissions, but won't complicate it here, but, but essentially it's a niche market. It's not going to be anywhere near the size of power generation, but it is something that we have uh, got some sizable contracts in and continue to, to pursue. Okay, thank you. All right, so that's, that's the first of the divisions, uh, the, the power station division, which uh, uses the powder-activated carbon. Then you've got your second division, um, which has been developed to service the massive need for cleaning up industrial pollution. Yep. Uh, what is the product you make and what types of businesses do you service and hope to service? Okay, so, so the pellet division came out of pellets that we provide for a power station in Wisconsin, which is the first use of high emission, high uh, efficiency Japanese-style technology in the U.S., and so we developed a pellet because that's, uh, that's a form of activated coke that they use in that power station and it, and it captures uh, NOx emissions, so nitrous oxide emissions, sulfur dioxide emissions and mercury. Out of that, we recognised that we had created something special in terms of the binders that we used to create the pellets, the pellet process itself, and that there was a very distinct a market for, for this in the industrial sector. So we 
now produce pellets out of the Arden Hills facility in Minnesota that we built to service the power plant in Wisconsin, which is just across the border. And that um, led to some uh, uh, quick wins, really, in, in the pellet market and in servicing many types of industrial customers that capture things like toluene and other byproducts out of you know, organic uh, chemistry that you know, this, this is really targeted for. So we're, cu we're currently focused on the air phase emissions from industrial sites. They could be wastewater um, facilities, they could be LNG facilities, they could be ultimately food processing would also be stuff that would be uh, utilising these kind of pellets. So we see very, very significant growth in this division and that's uh, why we're looking to address the need for more capacity. All right, thank you. So when you look at the business as a whole, including both divisions, the growth in revenue generated uh, has been pretty rapid from about $3.8 million in 2017 to $15.8 million in 2020. What sort of margins do each of the divisions generate and what price do you sell the different products for? Yeah, so for start with price, uh, typically um, activated carbon uh, for mercury control is, is anything from a uh, thousand US dollars a ton to the high teens. Originally, when we got into this business, we expected that to be materially higher, um, but that is where it is uh, um, now. The pellets, meanwhile, they sell for really two and a half to three and a half thousand US dollars a ton. In terms of gross margins, I don't think we've been that precise in our communications around what the divisions earn individually. We have said that we are targeting 40% gross margin overall. I, I would say that at this point in time, uh, our pellets have been a mixture of above 40 and below 40, but we're very confident we can get them to 40 overall. And our powder is probably trending a bit less than that, around 30, um, can be as low as 20, depending on the application. Overall, we're pretty confident as a business that as we get more into specialised carbons, which trade for even more, some impregnated carbons to capture uh, sulfur dioxide, for instance, could be trading at well over 4,000 US dollars a tonne. And we're pretty confident that we'll be in the market with products to, to cater for that market fairly shortly. Okay. I know you are hoping to generate revenue of over $20 million this year, but based on your last two quarterly reports for the September 20 and December 20 uh, results, they showed a revenue of around $7 million for the first half of 2021 or financial year 21. So that looks like it might be a bit of a difficult task from here, given your plants are located in the US where COVID has run fairly rampant. Is it achievable for these lower numbers to push up to, to the $20 million? And is COVID responsible for these lower numbers as well? I would argue, yes, it is, but indirectly rather than directly. And by that, I mean that... that as I said earlier, we've got a very strong push into industrial pellets. What we've seen is a significant cost impost on, on some of the product, um, components that we've utilised to make those pellets. So 
if you look on the on the Mercury side and Mercury Capture, that whole business, everything is is done internally. We don't require any third party ingredients, if you like. If I look at the industrial pellets, whilst we perfected a new form of doing that, we have still been dependent on uh, on mixing in some other people's um, activated carbon that gives us a higher surface area. That carbon and and therefore better able to to capture more difficult pollutants. Um, That carbon has proven over the last little period to have increased substantially in price um, and dramatically uh, worsening uh, trading terms. So um, we believe that we have more than enough demand to hit those kind of revenue forecasts, but it's not prudent to actually do so in that we would just be burning working capital and and, and our margins will decrease. So we've looked at solutions to address that particular market um, incidents and and we believe that we've done that and you know I'm, I'm sure you'll come to that but that's in our recent announcements around the development that we're looking at with Kentucky so back to your original question um, I think it's going to be very challenging to hit those revenue forecasts we could if we wanted to if the market screamed at us that we had to we probably could um, but as directors, I think we put a more prudent hat on and say that, that we'd rather um, preserve our cash. And now that we know what we're going to do next with the Kentucky plant, then we're better off um, being a little patient and waiting to then to really then have a quantum uh, increase in our, in our revenue. Okay. To ask the how long is a piece of string question, how large do you think the market potential for each of those two divisions actually is? So the overall market size for just mercury capture is probably now around 60,000 tonnes at, you know, over over $1,000 a tonne. So you're probably looking at, no, sorry, it'd be about, about more like a hundred thousand tons so you're probably looking at about a hundred to 150 million us dollar market so we've only uh we're only selling what is it six thousand tons or something so we've we've got a long way to go in terms of market share that we can grow that that business in terms of pellets um we're very certain that the market is at least 40 million in us terms dollar terms um we're the only us manufacturer of industrial pellets so with the climate that is there politically at the moment and the fact that we should be able to produce it as cheap as any imports, and then there's a pretty sizable market there that we can get, compete in. It may be much bigger than that, just getting into the bits that we're addressing. We might find that there's other markets that are adjacent that we can address as well and therefore have a much bigger market. So, Warren, just in relation to the power station market, you said that you've got about 5 or 6% of that market of, of 100,000 tonnes or so. Is the rest of it, the 95, 94, 95% of it taken up by brominated players? Yes, it is largely. Um, ADA is the largest player listed on NASDAQ. Calgon, Cabot and Albemarle are the other competitors that we see in the market. There are There is a component of the market that is completely unbrominated or non-brominated 
Um, that is the stuff where the coal that's being utilised is either low in mercury or they've got other treatments in place, such as putting calcium bromide on the coal that's being burned. That, that means that the back-end injection of activated carbon can be unbrominated, and that's, you know, 20% or so of the market. The feedback I've been seeing is that the brominated products are corroding in some degrees quite heavily, uh, these, these power stations. I was just surprised that uh, there hasn't been more of a switch across to uh, the non-brominated players. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, we are, and we're and, and we're clearly disappointed with that. We we we. It's a long process. These people are very conservative. Um, the testing regime is essential to be able to uh, inject the carbon. You can't you can't get win a contract without a test. Testing can only be done in certain periods of the year. Uh, so it's a very low, slow sales cycle. We do have a number of tests that were due in the last quarter. Um, they've been deferred into this quarter coming, and they're from pretty sizable volumes. So we're pretty hopeful that we can convert a number of those customers. But I would be remiss to say that, that we're not disappointed at how the take-up has been. I do think there's no question that our carbon uh, performs as well, is as cheap and doesn't have the side effects. So, you know, what we don't have is is mm. the big balance sheet and presence of some of our competitors. All right, to switch across to the pellet business again, on the 2nd of Feb, you announced a joint venture with a group called Kentucky Coal Processing, uh, where they will build a specialised activated carbon pellet plant that would take your pellet manufacturing capacity up to 11,000 tonnes per annum. And you've got the exclusive rights to purchase the pellets at cost, pellets at cost, and sell them into the industrial market. From my perspective, it was a pretty smart deal for a small company like Carbonex to grow sales in what is a rather capital-intensive business. Is this why the deal was done, or are there other reasons? So sort of three reasons ben you, you you touched on one there capital intensive you know our expertise is in intellectual property development and and the, the sales thereof um we're not desperate to be uh, in manufacturing if it's essential to bring that technology to market we have stepped in to do so but it's not necessarily the be all and end all and uh, at this share price, um, we don't really want to be diluting uh, our our shareholders, and so it made sense to look at a different, you know, joint venture or otherwise um, provide capital from a third party. Uh, the second element is the working capital that I described before. This way is quite elegant in the fact that we only pay for the manufacturing uh, once we get paid by the customer. So we have eliminated the use of a third-party carbon that's giving us all the problem in the first place, has brought down our cost structure, uh, means we're making overall more money, uh, and at the same time, we've eliminated the working capital. So I think from a commercial perspective, it's a really elegant structure to deal with the issues that we see in the market. If I go back to my earlier point, uh, we've got no question in our minds that we can substantially grow revenue and, and, and sell this product. We have no, no issues in selling it. We've got an issue in how we make it get at, at a way that doesn't 
doesn't burn cap cash and cause us to, to have to raise more money. So I think it's it's that. And then thirdly, the gentlemen that are involved in this are very well connected uh, in in markets in the US from what they've done. They've made a lot of money in the coal industry and and they have a lot of existing contacts in industrials and, and we think that the, uh, to a certain extent they can help us on sales as well. So you've got these two products which you're working as hard as possible. Have you got any other products that you're hoping to bring to market in the near future? Yeah, we, we have the benefit of a, you know, a very heavy uh, focus on research. We've got enough HDs on our staff, Dave Mazak I mentioned earlier, Regina Rodriguez, the two most prominent. Um, and what we've done is, is we've developed a series of, of different uh, products looking at. So most publicly, uh, we've talked about what we call our nutrient pellets. So the state of Florida has um, passed legislation to reduce uh, nitrogen and phosphate runoff uh, into their waterways. Most famously, they've had a thing called red tide, which is a fairly unattractive algae bloom off the coast of Florida that ruined their tourism industry a number of years ago, four or five years ago. Uh, and we have developed a that that can take phosphate nitrogen out of the market. We've just won a grant with the state of Florida to examine with one of their leading marine biology uh, research centres called Moat Marine to to come up with a, uh, a pelletized solution for this red tide. But more generally, the state has already legislated to, to, to capture this runoff. And so we have four tests underway uh, with water utilities, first of which has gone very well. And ultimately, we consider this market to be very large and, um, and also global. Um, this is something that we can... Um, move all around the world. I, I kid you not, I was literally reading in a National Geographic last night about the Great Lakes in the United States and how they used to have the occasional algal bloom and, and some of the areas are now getting them on an annual basis. That, that wasn't a red tide, these were green. But uh, yep. I, I assume this is something that the phosphorus product would be able to deal with as well? Jim, so. Um, there's no rational reason, logical, chemical reason why not. Um, but like all these breakthroughs, you have to target it for the for the application you want. Um, so we haven't been getting algae blooms in the Great Lakes at the moment, but there's no reason whatsoever that it shouldn't work. All right, look, to round it out, since listing in January 2018, uh, the share price has been up and down and all over the shop. It's had a pretty torrid sort of a time. Why would, as an investor, you'd be interested in buying CarbonX now? I think there's, uh, there's qualitative and quantitative reasons. Um, qualitative, uh, even just so recently as November, the, the president has changed. The dynamic in political circles for pollution control has changed immensely in the US. And there's, there's an ever-growing focus on pollution control. And we're seeing that come through almost immediately in, in the regulatory circles. So from that kind of overview, it's, it's pretty attractive. Quantitatively, I think that we're at a path where um, we're close, if not at the point where our growth can be funded uh, internally. Uh, we don't need to rely on external funding post this Kentucky deal. 
uh, unless it's to accelerate that growth. And so we're, we're at that point where we should, uh, in the near future, remove that, that come capital raise element to our share price. Uh, I think it's remarkably cheap, personally. And, you know, I think that, you know, we just need to demonstrate some runs on the board of what we're talking about, see the Kentucky deal come to fruition and, and start seeing that revenue come through. And I think it'll be very attractive. Do you, do you think to some degree there's almost a naive attitude towards the company because you're dealing with coal-fired power stations, even though it's a clean tech business cleaning up the, uh, the pollution from these power stations, that because it involves the coal work, there's an aversion to people looking at the company? I, I would say that's certainly true in a couple of instances that I've, I've been involved in in, in the not-too-distant past where they say that their mandates are now so narrowly written, this fund that I'm thinking of, that they couldn't even consider investing in something that uh, facilitated in any way, shape or form coal-fired power station production. To me, that's a silly drafting of an ESG governance uh, regime, as we say, that, you know, we're here to clean up pollution, not create it. So, you know, it is what it is, though. You know, is there a naivety to that? Yeah, I do believe so. But, you know, if we start putting runs on the board and the revenue traction that we believe we can, then I think that, you know, we're relatively tightly held stock, some pretty good investors on our list for, for such a small company. I think that the market will respond very well and it'll, uh, it'll move up solidly. All right, thank you to everyone for listening into this interview. If you've got any queries about this discussion or require any other information, please either call us on 9268-1110, shoot us an email or jump onto our website at www.morrisseygroup.net. Warren, thank you very much for your time. Well, thanks, Ben. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Cheers. The Morrissey Group is a corporate authorised representative of Shore and Partners Limited, ABN 24003-221583. Our financial services guide is viewable at www.shoreandpartners.com.au. Any content within this podcast is subject to the terms and conditions of Shore and Partners Limited's disclaimer, as viewable at www.shoreandpartners.com.au forward slash disclaimer.